Welcome to the Mad Mirror Podcast, where we explore the challenges and victories to building sustainable lifestyles as independent makers, small artists, and entrepreneurs. I'm Miriam Rachel, the host of Mad Mirror, and today we'll be talking with our special guest, Cora Boisvert. Did I say it right? You did. Good job. <laughs> A professional cellist, maker, and artist on how she designed her lifestyle around her and her family's needs. Let's get started. Cora Boisvert is a music teacher, nurse, and former homeschooling mama of three grown children. Cora performs with the Roseville String Ensemble and the Firefly Trio, and she loves to learn new things. She has raised her family in a way that has encouraged and enabled her kids to continue their own education as young adults. Hello, Cora, and welcome to the Mad Mirror Podcast. Thanks for having me, Miriam. Good morning. Now, Cora, you're a musician and a maker, so tell me about all that you do, and I know there's a vast amount of things. There are a vast amount of things. I'm curious about how to do nearly everything, so I'm always trying to learn something new. I really like fiber arts especially, so I spin and weave and knit and sew historical clothing. Pretty much if it's out there, I want to do it. Null binding is next on my list. We'll see who wants to teach me that. What is it called? Null binding. Not what is it? Yeah, it's like a, some people say it's a predecessor to knitting. Other people say it, it was congruent, but in a different area of the world. I don't know. The jury might still be out. But either way. That's cool. Okay. I want to know how to do it. Right? So, right? Yeah. Dyeing fiber with natural materials is my attention right now. So I have a freezer full of dried flower petals and rhubarb leaves and pondering what to do with those. But I have a little spinning to do before we can experiment. I love that. That's awesome. I totally understand. Like, I always want to start, like, new projects before I've finished other projects. So then I end up with just a plethora of projects that I haven't completed. So many projects. So many projects. Uh, my husband learned a while back that an ideal birthday present for me is to just give me a kit that includes the tools and instruction book for whatever I'm currently obsessed with. And that's worked out really well. So I have kits for watercolor painting and block printing, spoon carving, you name it, there's a bin for everything. That's amazing. So, <laughs> so many things. I, I do. I just want to learn everything to do with my hands. I'm a lifelong learner. And as a musician, I play cello and guitar, a bunch of different places. I played with the Roseville String Ensemble for almost 20 years and the Firefly Trio for about five. Awesome. And I play whenever I can all over the place. Sometimes I play in church, sometimes at coffee shops or nursing homes. I play with my son bunch of different places or if we're at a historical event then my daughter and I will play Irish whistle sometimes and that's kind of fun playing with my kids is one of my favorite things to do yeah like you're able to like not just like create but like to do that with your family yeah I mean that that's the dream and I really get to do that thing so yeah I love that that is really living the dream. Tell me more about the historical reenactments. How did you get into that? Well, it came with a guy. So about 30 years ago, we met at our mutual place of employment. And he was starting to get into historical reenacting. And when we got married, I, I could either do this thing that he loved with him and learn how to love it. Or I could say, good luck making all these memories that you love without me. So I jumped in. I I'm so glad. It's it's one of the best things we've done in raising our children is to do it in a way that's more experiential and they all love history. And that's really exciting for me because I think they're better citizens and humans with more of a a hands-on, you know, we can talk about history. We can talk about living in certain ways, but when you have to go and actually try it on and make the clothes to go with it, um, 
it's a whole different thing. What a hands-on like learning experience too. Like you're not just like, oh, let's open up our textbook. So when you sew and make like the period costumes, and in a way it's almost like not a costume because that was clothing. Yeah. That's how people dress. So yeah. how did you get into that? I mean, I'm I'm a sewer, but like that takes so much like skill and you know, they didn't have necessarily like zippers and you know, things like that. It's a steep learning curve. I'm I'm learning. I'm a beginner at it. I mean, I've done it for a long time, but I have people in my life that do a better job and they're always helping me. They're directing me towards patterns or helping me understand different ways of how things were put together or who at different time periods had access to different clothing or prints or fibers or ways of making clothing. And that's, uh, it's, it's always fascinating to me how much fiber and the women's economy that was based on in many ways around fiber. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is a an underlying feature to so much of history. Oh yeah. Wow, I, I never even thought about that. That's amazing. That may be a whole different talk. Right, but. right, right, right. right. <laughs> and and you also just recently attended a sheep and wool fest, which I didn't even know that was a thing. And like right now I'm not allowed to go there because I would just want to buy all of the yarn and all of the things and do all of the things. Well, I do too, but I am allowed to go there. I just <laughs> I just don't generally spend that much money. Yeah. <laughs> um so I bring my spinning wheel with me and I sit in the middle where there are other spinners and wait for them to tell me, Oh, you shouldn't be doing that thing or giving me pointers. I've learned a lot that way. But the Sheep and Wool Festival is around Mother's Day weekend, usually on mm-hmm. Mother's Day weekend every year at the Rams, no, Washington County Fairgrounds. And it's it's big. It's well attended. There's workshops, there's vendors, there's food carts. I mean, it's just everything. It's very fun for me just to go and see what other people are making. Um, I take a lot of notes for what I want to try myself. And then sometimes I can get patterns or supplies or just talk to people who are equally geeking out about fiber of all sorts. There's animals there. You can pet the bunnies and the llamas and all that. They do shearing. Oh, that's amazing. I highly recommend it. It's like $5 to get in, and it's just a lot of fun for someone who has any interest in making the things with anything fiber. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Next year, you'll have to let me let me know about Mother's it. Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, Mother's Day weekend. I'll have to put mm-hmm. that on my calendar. How did you get into that? Like, was that something that you grew up with? Oddly enough, I was asked to do a demonstration of spinning and weaving for Vacation Bible School one year, and I neither spun nor wove. And they said, that is not a problem. We have fleece for you here. We had recently gotten a loom but hadn't really used it, and I didn't know how to spin. So my husband made a drop spindle because... He does things like that. And I taught myself over the weekend how to spin the thing. <laughs> wow. Um, prepared the wool as best I could with some dog brushes. That worked because carters are basically just big dog brushes. <laughs> right. And then I strung up the um, the rigid head loom and brought it over there. And I taught myself in front of all of these hundreds of kids. And then I brought stuff for them to try because hands-on learning is kind of my jam. Oh, absolutely. So, when I go to a historical event now, um, I have a whole bunch of sets of dog brushes so that people can get their hands on wool and actually see what it takes through the process of going from dirty, fleecy stuff to an actual thing. And that, that process is, um, I love sharing that excitement with other people. And it's so interesting to me how few people actually know how you get from animal to I'm wearing this. Totally. So walking them through the various ways to do that, I, I just love it. That's amazing. Maybe more than they do, but I do love it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think about, I mean, even with tie-dye, like one of the things that like I face a lot is fast fashion. And just in general, there's like that disconnect, you know, from like where are our clothes coming from? Mm-hmm. And I think 
that, you know, especially like before we had fast fashion, like so much work went into it. And like, I mean, thousands of years of learning and figuring out these processes. And I mean, it kind of blows my mind, honestly. Yeah, I've, um, I've way too much to say about that. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, I've been reading a whole bunch of books that involve just fiber, not just fiber, but how it has been really wound around the history of women and how that in itself winds around the history of all of us, especially um, pre-colonial and beginning with the revolution, how it just dictated a lot of history. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, I mean, it's essential because like, you know, especially with like winter and stuff, like we have to be able to, Mm -hmm. you know, like clothe ourselves so we don't die, like important part of survival. So we don't die. That is a very important part. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I love utilitarian art. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried stamping cards for a while, which Mm -hmm. is fun, but then people look at this thing you spent three hours on and they're like, why, thank you. And then they recycle it and it's just hurtful. Yeah, So (laughs) if you can use it again, um, that makes me really happy, like deeply just satisfied that someone has something they can use that I made. You know, it contributed to their life in one way, some ways, something important. But one of the first utilitarian things I made, I, I still laugh at. It was a tent I made out of sheets and some dowels, and it was uh, ridiculous, absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But I, I loved it because I made it, and I could use it. Right. I would not recommend it. It was not waterproof. Oh. It, it was not practical <laughs> in any way, but I I did it, and but, I was just so proud that I did a thing. Right. Well, and I, I mean, I suppose all of that is just, you know, it's a learning a learning curve. So. I was in middle school, so my expectations were, you know, lower than they are now. Right. <laughs> I love it. So so speaking of your childhood, so what was it like? It sounds like you grew up making things and having music in your life and lots of messes. Yeah. Uh, we had a piano. My mother played the piano a lot. So that was modeled for me. Um, I started piano lessons with my neighbor when I was about six or so and added on other instruments, you know, handbells and all the, all the things. I've always loved to learn all of the things. But then with music ed degree, I got to learn most of the other instruments that we play in a band or orchestra yeah. and then added on since. My husband actually taught me guitar when I was 19. Oh, and that was one of that. my later instruments to add on. And then I make sure as a music teacher that I'm always learning a new instrument that makes me slightly uncomfortable. Um, That's such a good mentality too. Because I need to remember freshly what it feels like to, I'm going to play this and it's not going to be pretty. Right. It's just not. But I'm going to do it anyways because it's part of the process. And continually stamping on my own pride like that makes me a better teacher. It keeps my empathy and compassion a little higher, especially for my adult students. Right. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think about too, like when I was getting my music degree, I mean, we had to learn all of the instruments and like, I felt so bad for my roommates and fellow like people that were also music majors on our floor, like, especially like clarinet and oboe. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Well, I was, when I finished my degree, I was around 30 years old and when I took my brass methods course, no one told me the basics of <laughs> brass or <laughs> percussion instruments. They they didn't say how they were different from strings and harmonic sequences. And, and you know, there were so many basic things that just were not covered. And so when I started playing trumpet, it was it was an experience that I never want anyone to go through again. <laughs> and it it was so wretched that the other older student in class and myself, we were the only string players, by the way. 
Good for you. We guys. had the giggle fit so badly. We could barely <laughs> breathe. And we were kicked out of our class. <gasps> we had to remain in the hallway for 10 minutes while we composed ourselves. And oh. it really did take that long <laughs> because it was so bad. That's it so did funny. improve over time. And I do love the trumpet. But yeah, just some basic parts were missing. And I had no idea what I was doing. Well, and stereotypically, I think about, like, the string kids are always, like, you know, the so-and-so, like, good kids compared to, like, band kids. Like, Results in public may schools. vary, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. You guys were just rebels. We were something. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. No, I definitely have experienced those giggle fests myself, so. <laughs> you just don't expect it in your 30s in a class of 18-year-olds. Right. <laughs> that was a surprise. So, in addition to music, did you grow up, you know, with, like, you know, all the fiber art stuff that interests you? Me and my mother sewed and mended things, um, but that just was a dawning thing over time. No, I don't think it was. It was just more, I was always making something, and it just kind of got over to that yeah. over, over time. So, like, did you grow up with, like, a sewing machine, or did you end up getting one, like, later in life? Or I got one later in life. Like, we had one in our home. My grandmother sewed a lot, and I would sit and sew with her. She made a lot of clothes and doll clothes for us, and I was always... I loved how she would have an idea in mind and then just made it. So I started making doll clothes and stuffed animals and things when I was little just for fun. When you got into more of the fiber arts, did you kind of just acquire, you know, tools and supplies yourself? Well, we started with a loom and my husband and I strung that up together for the first time. And, you know, like I said, he made me a drop spindle. And then we just improvised because we didn't have a budget for that. Just as we could slowly acquire things, we did. But I made myself drop spindle an entire fleece before I ever used a spinning wheel. And I wanted to get tension down Mm -hmm. and more I just decided to and then I was stubborn about it. (laughs) But I'm glad that I did because now um, the tension part is easy Mm -hmm. and just the doing the treadling and at high speed is not so stressful. Well, and gosh, stringing a loom, like that is a job and a half. Oh, it takes forever. Yeah. Yeah, especially a a very large one like my barn loom that takes up. We would take up this whole room. Yeah, yeah. I believe I have it. room for that. We call it the loom room. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have, my aunt does looming and I mean, it takes her probably two weeks between when she finishes a project to when she restrings it because oh, yeah. it's just, and she, she always has like help and everything, but mm-hmm. it, it's like keeping track of each individual like thread and Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we had a, an amazing opportunity. My my daughter and I went down to Missouri, and we spent a week just kind of apprenticing with a historical weaver down there. And he showed us what to do, learned the ropes, literally. And yeah. we wove the entire week. So I came home with a very complicated pattern and a queen-size blanket and wool. And it's one of my very favorite things. Like we spent the entire week weaving. Wow. And I made all the mistakes. And I wanted the hardest thing. I do this with everything. I picked the <laughs> hardest thing I could do so that when I got home, everything else would feel easier. Oh, yeah. When yeah. I didn't have someone standing behind me saying, actually, that goes over there. So that was right? that was a lot of fun. Well, a queen-size blanket. Wow. That's huge. huge. Yeah. Huge. That's I amazing. was literally putting the last stitches in it yeah. on the binding as we were about to walk out the door. It took the entire time. Yeah, that's amazing. Tell me a little bit more about cello. So you learned cello after you started piano with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And then did you play in like any ensembles as a kid? Just the little ones that were put together by my orchestra director. Did you come through the public school system? I did. I, we, um, I went through a bunch of different schools, but I was in the same district from fifth grade on. And so I was with consistent teachers. Like the first teacher that I had for cello, 
his daughter was my first private cello teacher. Yeah. And then he was my high school um, orchestra director as well. That's awesome. So I had a lot of continuity there, and that was great. Oh, yeah. A very continuity. solid program. Yeah, I came through the public school system also. And, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of my passion for it was because I came through that program and mm-hmm. saw how amazing it was, sort of that camaraderie that comes with it. Camaraderie is huge. It's everything in middle school. That's actually a lifesaver. In right? middle school. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Those are my friends now. Like, Abs- me too. I, I still have so many of my friends from fifth grade on when I came into the district that uh, music has kept us together. Some of us are still playing together. In fact, a couple of years ago in the Rosal String Ensemble, yeah. my stand partner from high school, she got to sit next to me for a while. Or I got Aww. to sit next to her for a while. And that was so sweet. I just loved it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, no, it's it's same thing. I'm still friends. I still play with some of my friends that I, you know, started in fourth grade with for orchestra. That's so, so sweet. Yeah. Like someone who's observed your life and shared it with you in right? a in that sort of everyday way that you only have with right? music when you go through through grade school and, and um and high school together. Right. Some of us even went to college together. Right. We just kept on going. Oh, I love that. Actually, me too. Me too. Isn't that funny how that mm-hmm. works? Mm-hmm. And I think also, I mean, besides the fact that it's it's like a team sport, basically. I mean, if if you started in fifth grade together, you you also like grew as musicians together. Absolutely. You know? Which is yeah. such a cool skill to have, uh, like built around a community, you know? Yeah, one of my very dear friends from high school, um, he lives in my daughter and son-in-law's neighborhood. And I get to play with him every once in a while. And it's just so sweet to still have him around and in my life. He's just a great guy. And I love having him close to my, my daughter and, and um, granddaughter and son-in-law. He even snowblowed their driveway a few times this winter. Aww. And I don't know, I just feel like he's there keeping an eye on him. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so now, is your husband also a musician? He is, and a maker. He makes all the things. Specifically, he makes the Illin pipes, the Irish bagpipes, and Irish whistles. He makes a whole bunch of other stuff as well. He'll go out to make a bagpipe and accidentally make a metal mosquito sometimes. But, oh. you know, so <laughs> results may vary. But, yeah, he, he makes a lot of things. He also plays guitar and um, sings, and that's one of my favorite things. He was actually singing for us the other day, and I looked at my niece and said, now you see why I had to marry Uncle David. She's like, yeah, totally. She gets <laughs> yeah. it. She gets it. Yeah. But yeah, he makes um, just about anything. He hates it when I say that, but he really can. He's magic. He he looks at it. He has this 3D engineering mind. He's like, oh, that's how that goes together. And then he just makes it appear. I don't understand it, but I appreciate it. So That's amazing. And also like being like, I know how to make bagpipes. Like I just think that there's not a lot of people that fall into that category. Ten. There are 10 in the world. He is one of them. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's Yeah, I'm really proud of him. Yeah. And uh, nothing leaves the shop if it's not perfect. It becomes a drawer pull or something if it doesn't meet his criteria. And we have a lot of really expensive drawer pulls. <laughs> but yeah, he's sold on every populated continent and he's, he's kind of amazing. That's amazing. So is there a bagpipe in Antarctica? Anywhere that there are, anywhere that's populated. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. He's very crafty. He makes all the things. So when we're at historical reenactments, he'll bring stuff. If he's made some knives or birch bark containers, they're kind of like Tupperware. They yeah. Have, they're air and water tight, and that's kind of cool. He, What doesn't he make? He just makes all the things. Like, he made most of our house, part the, the new parts of it. and Wow. Yeah, just, does stuff 
That's so cool. So like if you think about it, like you are literally living in a house that your husband made that you are now like creating yeah. new artwork in and like yeah. skills. Yeah. And when, when I got my barn loom, I tried putting it together, but there were no directions. For some reason, the internet could not help me in any way. <laughs> and I'm like, surely I can figure this thing out. Well, I could not because it was missing some major components. So we did a little investigating and he went out and just made the parts because, and I'm sure I take this for granted for to a great extent because I've been with him for 30 years, but he just does the stuff. I know that you homeschooled your kids. So mm-hmm. um, when did you decide to homeschool and how did you kind of come to that decision? Before we were married, I had some very positive examples of homeschooling in my life and I was trying to learn as much as possible, not because... Um, public schooling or private schooling was were poor options, but because this is what we felt that we were supposed to do. So before we were married or had kids, it's what we'd already decided on. And then when my oldest presented herself, um, we found out that a traditional school setting was not going to work best for her specific needs. And so we just did that. And every year for 18 years, we reevaluated, is this what God wants us to do this year? And if it was, then we did. And if not, then we didn't. So we actually had the kids home through eighth grade, each of them. And I, I was ready to go through the beginning of college, but we did not, we didn't feel that's what we were supposed to do. That's, so yeah, 18 years. So with three kids in different grades, would you all kind of like work on the same thing or sometimes you would work on maybe like a project together and then split up like? Yes, and. Yes, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Because homeschooling doesn't take the entire school day. Right. Uh, I was able to put my two daughters who are 18 months apart into similar things. Mm-hmm. So activities together. And while they were in those activities, then my son and I would do the stuff that he specifically needed the most attention on. Yeah. And then if we were doing Spanish, the kids would all be in one clump somewhere and we'd be working together. We did a lot of um, a lot of things where they could just put in what they could take in at the time. And totally lost my train of thought. Oh, I was that's like, okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So I also did daycare for someone my son's age. And that that for me was a, a huge benefit because yeah. it made me be very structured in ways that I might not have been and intentional in ways I might not have been. Yeah. So we had learning time set aside and I, I planned way ahead before he hit kindergarten of what we were going to do. So when, when he was three years old through five years old, it kept me on track. Yeah. And so while I was working with them, I had my girls doing their own independent things and vice versa. So we kind of took turns with that. Yeah, nice. Well, and so much like self-directed time to you to, you know, kind of explore and learn things. And yeah, there's a lot of downtime built into what we were doing for them to do their own learning and explore their own interests. Right. So that was on purpose. Right. That's fantastic. So so when you went into homeschooling as a parent, did you have like a philosophy or was it kind of just sort of make it up as you went along or a little bit of column A and column B? Yeah, I don't know if it's so much of a philosophy as a conviction that this is what God wanted us to do and mm-hmm. we were going to figure it out. I had a lot of great mentors, mm-hmm. uh, a, a really good solid community around me that was encouraging and informative and helped me along when I felt stuck on something and great resource, great resource for, hey, you can borrow this and take a look at it and see if it works for you. So we tried a bunch of things. Um, I made an outline before I ever had kids of what I felt I was responsible for and the adults that were going to come from our life together. Yeah. And that 
was one of the best things that I've done. It made me as a very young person, since I had my first child when I was 20, made me as a very young person think through how I wanted to parent. And I viewed our my raising of children in retrospect and planned backwards from there. And that took a lot of work for me, but what I wanted them to do is have basic conversation skills with people of all different age levels. Yeah. And in more than one language. And be well-read and be critical thinkers. Um, be comfortable doing basic childcare. Yeah. Because life skill. Um, have traveled enough to be comfortable doing so and want to do it more. Um, be skilled and responsible in managing money. Yeah, what a huge, skill. Huge, huge thing. skill. Understanding the reasons for their faith and being able to grow it on their own yeah. and not just take what we were telling them, but be secure in what they believe and be able to live that out. Yeah. Know how to care for a home and cook food and just some simple life skills like that. And so I really planned our curricula and how we even approached teaching them from the, the far end. Like for me, I think about like if I were to list all the things as a parent that I want to make sure that I teach, that's like such, it's overwhelming almost, you it's know? It's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, we I did follow my kids' interests and their own developmental levels and abilities with everything we did as well. But that was just the overarching structure that I could break down to their tiniest component pieces from when they're three odd word and just took little bites of it over time. And the things that we didn't get to, we got to some of, and they're able to continue learning on their own. So I had to use a lot of trial and error <laughs> for yeah. what would work best for each of them. It had to be hands-on, interactive, and adaptable. One of my kids is an auditory learner. One is very kinesthetic. The other's really visual. So you got everything in there. Everything <laughs> in there. And besides, they were different ages. So I mixed a lot of stuff, a lot of read-alouds, where they could take um, from that where they, where they were at developmentally and make their own pictures. And yeah. that was helpful. Lots of really big, messy projects and nature study. And one time a duck was killed by a car in front of our yard. And so we just paused everything else we were doing and threw some plastic down in the office and <laughs> did a little dissection. And then we also got to try to hatch her eggs in an incubator, too. Oh, just wow. one. But I have a community of people where borrowing an incubator isn't an impossible thing. Right. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And again, like, it's sort of like you have that flexibility to be yeah. able to, like, deviate from, you know, whatever mm -hmm. the lesson plan mm -hmm. was and, you know, like, learn an opportunity, you know, that's right there. And yeah, well, I think it was essential that my husband was fully in support of it. I don't think it's possible to homeschool well without both parents being on the same page. Oh, absolutely. So I know that you said that you did childcare while you were homeschooling. Yeah. I mean, it seems like like so much, but like at the same time, like it it makes sense, you know, because like if, you know, if you're already doing all these things and have, you know, all these like little projects plans out and you've got like a schedule, like it's just kind of like, you know, we'll just, you know, fit you in here and yeah, um, my priority was to hand raise my kids. So I picked things that would allow me to do that to the best of my ability. Um, my mother had a daycare when I was growing up. So, I mean, we always had art projects everywhere. And 
and our supplies everywhere. And yeah. I definitely took advantage of that. But then when I started doing daycare, I took over her daycare and she went back to grad school. Wow, so that's it's, amazing. It's kind of a family thing we do, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> you just kind of pass it around. and Yeah, I couldn't have afforded to homeschool if I didn't have some mm-hmm. income. So for 12 years, I had an in-home daycare and we had up to 10 kids at a time. And then I also taught between 1 to 40 students mm-hmm. during that time. Um, for cello. For cello. Cello, violin, um, guitar, piano. Awesome. Whatever is needed. Results may vary. Yeah. Um, um, we did respite care for a while with kids with special needs, and we mm-hmm. had a number of foster children over time, and we had 43 exchange students live with us. Wow. Over about 20-some year period. Wow. But that's what we did, and that's how I could be home with mine. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is our home um, was a tool, and having an open door, we've had... 50 people live with us total. That's amazing. Over, over I time. take response from that. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. It was something that was modeled for me when I was young, and mm-hmm. um, it's been an essential part of uh, just being a homeowner is knowing that we, it's something we have to share. And yeah. it's also a tool for me to support my family, too. Absolutely. So. I feel like, and I think you totally get this, too, is, you know, like, having that experience, like, when you bring somebody into your house, like, you're also, like, enriching with, like, you know, things that, with their wisdom and their possible skills. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, we had exchange students when I was young, and so for me it was a, a natural thing that I yeah. couldn't afford to bring my kids to the world, but I could bring the world to my kids. Yeah, and we had exchange students, and I grew up with that, and mm-hmm. um, I was very lucky. I did get to do an exchange program where I got to go, um, and I studied abroad in Germany when I was in high school, and wow. it was, I mean, just on both ends, like having somebody staying with us, and then also mm-hmm. like going. I mean, it was it was amazing, and um, I know not everyone gets to do those opportunities, and I feel very privileged to have been able mm-hmm. to do that. But even just bringing you know, like an exchange student into our home. I mean, I learned so much just from that. And I was I was only in high school. I'm sure I learned more than I think I did too. I guess what I'm trying to say is when you sort of take control of parts of your education like that, I feel like, you know, it's sort of like everyone in this big circle of like community benefits. And even like with your mom going back to back to grad school, like, you know, with each other supporting each other, we can accomplish so many great things and learn so many new skills. Yeah, we've um, we've definitely had a lot of variety. So what would kind of your weekly schedule look look like? One of the reasons I wanted to have you on my podcast is because I remember when I was playing with the Roseville String Ensemble, one of the things that we were talking about once was how you were able to build in time for yourself so that you could learn new things and learn new skills and that you were learning along with your kids. And I think that when you told me that, I was at a point in my life where I was super burnt out from mm. being an orchestra director in a public school and you know I was still like a pretty young mother at the time and I was like seeking that balance so that you know I wasn't just you know giving all the time but also like taking in that fulfillment of you know doing things that I wanted to do too yeah so how how did you eventually come to create that schedule it was definitely eventually you know (laughs) at first I didn't have or create time just for things that I wanted to do and that wasn't healthy it wasn't working out for anyone yeah um so I actually brought one of our weekly schedules just for one of my kids 
it came down a lot to being intentional. I'll have you take a look at that whenever you want to. But everything yeah. was written down that we were going to do. And it's not that we couldn't change that. But I had to be intentional about when things were going to happen. When they were really young, our formal learning times were really short and simple. And they were mostly games and read-alouds and nature study, things like that. But, you know, eventually it branched out to include all the things here, math and science and social studies and all of that. But also... Yeah. Um, exercising is part of our regular day. What could we do that they could keep doing when they were older? Art and music. But when they were doing those things, then I was doing those things too. And it just ended up having to be written down. So if I didn't plan time for what I love to do, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. There's always someone else that needs something else. So if it's not on there, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, learning with my kids. So if we, they were painting pictures of apples and I was painting apples too. And if they were learning Latin, I was studying declensions right next to them. So yeah. if I was interested in something, I would teach it to them. As right. long as it met those overall goals of what I wanted them to have, then that made sense. And in the summer, it's just the biggest thing that I ever decided to do for myself. And one of the best things is that I had a mama's homeschool day. Every week on Tuesdays in the summer, my friends would come over with their kids. We would let the kids be feral in the backyard. Yes. And we would just learn something until lunchtime. Yeah. Well, and it's so good for the kids to have that time too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we would learn how to make something or do something new, five different ways to make yogurt, or we would glue pennies on a bowling ball to put in the garden or just anything we were interested, interested in. How yeah. do we knit round things? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I would have someone come in that was an expert at what they were they were doing, and they would show us. So one of my adult violin students came and demonstrated oil painting. She's <gasps> wow incredible. One of my favorite painters, actually. And she just came and talked to us and showed her her stuff. And I don't ever aspire to be that good at oil painting, <laughs> but I was really inspired to give it a try. And that's I think that's the whole point. So, um. It really is one of the best things I ever did was make that intention. And even when I didn't have time in the regular school year for something, I'm like, but mom's homeschool day is coming. And I could just put it in a bin for now. Right. You know, mentally and, and physically. So right. um, I would have long stretches sometimes without having an ability to do um, what I want to do or have margin for things for myself. But then you'd find me boiling sweaters in the kitchen at midnight or something. Yes. You know? Oh, I relate to that. Or working in the garden <laughs> while I was quizzing my kids on state capitals, you know, multitasking for the win. Because it, yeah. it had to yeah. happen. It was going to come out somewhere. Right. But. And I think one of the other things that I really like about what you're describing is I think especially in sort of the way our society is set up especially with sort of this nine to five mentality and like you go to school and you learn from the teacher and then like the skill is acquired and you go on to the next step mm -hmm. I feel like the the thing that is often missing is that everyone has something that they can teach and you know like you're learning from your kids and with your kids and I almost feel like that's a skill that's, you know, missing sometimes or that it's starting to become not as common. And to be able to put that time aside for yourself too and to like learn together with other people, you know, I mean, obviously being a mom is like a full-time job always, but moms that don't work that still don't have that time built in to find something for themselves to learn and do that they've wanted to do. And yeah, and often I observe stay-at-home mothers having the hardest time setting that time aside because so much focus on is on the kids. And I think it's especially essential when you're a little more isolated because of that to be 
just spending time with other people and and carving out that space, making it a priority. So, right. And I had to I had to really make sure that I was in balance because I I was noticing imbalance in my life. So this was recommended to me, and I've been doing it ever since. I just draw four squares, you know, draw across on a on a piece of paper, and in each of them they have different quadrants that are labeled, you know, um, mental, physical, spiritual, and one other one, emotional or relational. And then in each one, I would put down the things I was doing to try to be healthy in each of those areas. And so over time, I can just make sure that things are in balance. And if they're not, I can see, well, that's because I'm not doing anything. I'm not learning anything new. No wonder I'm feeling like I'm shriveling up, if that makes any sense to you. So like for the mental category, I would put in improving my Spanish skills or doing a continuing education for my EMT licensure and or you know, don't, learning pressure canning or lucette cord making, something yeah, like that. And yeah. if I didn't have some some things on that list, I would feel like there was less of me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or in the relational care category, if I wasn't making time for friends or calling my grandmother regularly or volunteering at the nursing home, if I wasn't putting those things in that made me who I wanted to be, Yeah. then I was not in balance. But it, it kind of laid it out for me in a way where I could see where the problem was a little more clearly Yeah. and check in that, am I just sitting on the couch? I'm, I'm prone to just sitting on the couch. So <laughs> Me too. I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean everything was always in balance. In fact, I don't think there was ever time when everything was in balance. Yeah. But I knew what I was aiming at. Yeah. I think like one of the things too with balance is, I mean, it's something that I feel like I'm always striving for. And even though my life has so much more balance than it did, even when I was in high school, I don't think I had like close to anything that was balanced because I mean I was so like passionate about doing music and teaching music I think I've always been just struggling with balance I mean college was like play your violin and don't ask questions you know (laughs) I mean (laughs) it was pretty intense I understand 10 hours a day of cello yeah (laughs) Yeah, I get it yep you totally get it and then like while you're finishing up college like I went into education so Not only was I finishing up school, but I was, like, doing the student teaching, which is so much work. So much work. And there just was never that, like, stopping of movement ever. And it was just, like, keep going forward, keep going forward. I loved what I did. I mean, I taught full-time while I was in college, which was a feat and a half. But I, I, I did not sleep. And there were a lot of times where I was eating a peanut butter and jelly, you know, in the car or, you know, while I was doing a lesson. But... Um, you know, it it was really what I wanted to do and I was so passionate about it. But now that I'm older, I just don't have as much energy. And I think, you know, it's fair to say that like your needs change. And Oh, I, absolutely. I think for me, like I just need I need a slower pace of life. And it has been so life changing for me to really just like embrace that. And one of the things I love about your schedule too is that you said to me earlier was if it's written down on the schedule, if we don't get to it, that's fine. But then I know that we didn't get to it so that we can do it tomorrow or the day after. And it's there to like remind me. Yeah. And I just, I relate to that so much because I I like make lists for everything. Even like in my journals, a lot of them are just lists of things. (laughs) They're not even today I did this. And you know, it's like, here's what I want to do. Here are the things that I need in my life. I know for us, we live a slightly less structured life generally, but I think having it written down, if it's written down, we can circle back to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, 
if I know that I miss something. I don't have to worry about missing everything. I, it, it's self-limiting. I know what I didn't get to, and mm-hmm. that, that just clears my mental palate. So I'm not trying to carry it all the time. Otherwise, that's overwhelming. Right, absolutely. And then, you know, like you said with, like, the duck that you guys dissected. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not our most shining moment, but, yeah. Right, but, but you, you know. They remember it. <laughs> right, they remember it, and then you got to, like, try to incubate the eggs. And, yeah. you know, like, I think, like, of opportunities, especially living in, like, a co-housing situation, You know, Mm -hmm. if we have a really nice night outside, sometimes it'll be, you know, like, hey, let's do like a bonfire in the courtyard or. I love that. Yeah. No, I'm living vicariously through your community. Uh, I love when you post stuff about that. I think it's so sweet. Yeah. We are gardening today. Right. And and, I mean, things come up, you know, like like we have no control over like when like the cherries are going to be ready to pick. And, you know, those are the thing where there's like a window. And if we don't Mm -hmm. do the picking and canning them then we have to let it go for the season and wait until yeah. the next year. And so I, I love having that flexibility to be able to stop and do those things. Mm-hmm. And I know obviously like with my daughter being in public school, we don't always have that freedom, but I there's so much more freedom than when I was teaching in the public schools. And I just, I'm so grateful for that. Now, I know that you live in a neurodivergent household. We do. And I mean, we are also living that life. So tell me a little bit about that and how that also influenced your lifestyle. Oh, how did it not? Right. Um, one way that immediately springs to mind is our our schedule. Like My husband and one of my daughters, they naturally fall asleep around 2 in the morning from 11 months on. She fell asleep about two in the morning. (laughs) So there were just things that were not going to work for us. With two people who were basically nocturnal, we were not going to be starting algebra at seven in the morning. That was not going to fly. But my two other kids were early birds. So I had to have independent work ready for all of them at their own levels that they could do on the times when it worked best for their brains. Yeah. That was a big challenge for me, um, but it worked out. One of my daughters would do more before 6 a.m. than I might do all day, so I just had to front load that. (laughs) We had to use an incredible amount of trial and error, Um, the right learning approaches, the right curricula, the right experiences, and uh, teachers for certain skills for them, and my overall parenting style. What worked for one did not work for the other at all. Um, I just kept trying to learn more and do better. Significant part of my personal library is parenting books, ADHD, autism, it's right. uh, how to raise challenging children, all of that. And I just have so much more to learn. You know, as as we as, as humans learn more about brain development and exceptionalities, um, it makes me wish I had known so much more earlier. Maybe, Absolutely. maybe I could have done better. But and we made so many mistakes and we just kept trying to learn from them. Yeah. Sometimes that went better than others. But um, I apologized a lot and I keep doing it. The more I find that, oh, I probably should have done this with you for what you needed I can just keep apologizing and that's all we can do because there are significant challenges with social skills and really 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 big emotions so uh, we just took time after social activities to do social autopsies I don't know if you've heard of that before ah tell me more we kind of broke down how did this go if it didn't where where did it start to go wrong and what what part of that can you own and how can we learn to do better right. or what went really well this time and what 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 made that go well yeah and that just takes a lot a lot of time lots of introspection and discussion and everything just takes more time 
yeah. with neurodivergence. So checking up on things, explanations, endless explanations. Absolutely. If I'm going to buy in, it means you're going to need to know why. And that just takes a while. Maintaining right. order and safety and peace and then regrouping when we lose our order and safety and peace. And, and that's just going to happen. It's a given in a home with exceptionalities. Right. So, But neurodivergence also meant that we were in a home full of creativity. Absolutely. So you much know, creativity. From parents to kids and everything in between, um, we just always had stuff going on that we're loving learning. And we've tried to encourage that while also teaching the life skills that they needed. So like in, in eighth grade, my youngest had to write 100 essays because his teacher was really mean. And that teacher was me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so he was given specific parameters mm-hmm. that he had to stay within, but he could pick any topic at all. And he sure. was obsessed with military history. He still is. He just graduated with a degree in basically history. Wow, and that's amazing. With different special specialties within that. And it's what he loved and it's what he loves. So he did. And I learned so much because he got to go with what he was passionate about. Yeah. And his library in his room is extensive. I think he has over a thousand books in there. Just wow. <laughs> That's like goals, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like he goals. was actually used, he used his own library as reference in, in his, uh, his, his last major paper That's for amazing. his degree. And that, I think he was pleased with that, that he yeah. didn't have to go anywhere for that. He just, he just looked to his left. He's like, now wait a minute. I have something on that. But my daughter, she really wanted to do things on outer space. Well, I didn't know a ton about outer space outside of, you know, science in high school. So yeah. I learned so much through them. And that's such a powerful position for kids to be in, to be the resident expert and be able to teach me. Yeah. And I loved, loved, loved being able to support that in position, that in, in them being in that position. I mean, their writing improved ex- exponentially because they had buy-in. Right. And they're really good writers and, and very adept researchers now. But they got to be in that position of being the expert and know what that felt like. Yeah. And I, I was just so, so pleased for that. But I also had to choose battles. Absolutely. Very, very carefully. And there's a certain amount of chaos and mess that comes with, well, living with neurodivergence and creative <laughs> right. people and having your kids around all the time and making stuff and all of that all at once. So I just let a lot go. And I think the more I was able to, the better. Yeah. Like we had to have clean things underneath it, but it, we're not going to have everything tidy and perfect all the time or anywhere near it. And I just had to be okay with that. Oh, well, I feel, I feel and that so much. Part of me is and part of me isn't. But if I could just be with them and overlook a lot of the rest, we were all happier. Yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes it went better than other times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But myself being neurodivergent and then my daughter being neurodivergent, us like getting out on time is like a whole mm. ordeal. Like, I mean, we literally just live outside the space-time continuum. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, and time blindness, like that is a thing. And I know with uh, with Avadia, like just trying to like, like, okay, in 10 minutes, we're going to put our shoes on yeah. and then we get to that spot and then, or she'll have just heard a joke and she needs to, to understand it like right now. Right now, you know? there's no later. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of times there are things that I want to explain to her because they have that, you know, social side to it where if I don't explain it and she's not paying attention, she might not learn right. 
the social cue from it or whatever. Oh, exactly. So <laughs> strike while that iron is hot. Yeah, and that displaces other things. Right. Totally. Totally. And and honestly, you know, if if she's over censored out and we're just trying to get out the door for school, I mean, yeah. that is so rough, you know, because there's like basic needs that need to happen. She needs to be clothed. She needs to Maslow have, before bloom. Right. Every time. Right. She has to be able to eat something. Yeah. You know, like there's no way she can function mm-hmm. at school if she hasn't done those things. And, and like the irony of it is even with like, I think about like with Ritalin, um, with her ADHD, like she just cannot function without it. Mm-hmm. But part of the problem is that when she wakes up in the morning, she hasn't taken it yet because she has to eat something to take it. So yep. we have to accomplish these things without the Ritalin before she can take the Ritalin to be a, a healthy, functioning human. Word problems for grownups. Right. Yeah. So, and sometimes you cannot solve for X. Absolutely. Right. You right. might get two Ys out of that and that's all you're going to have to <laughs> right. deal with today. Right. Yeah. Back to the drawing board. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and then if she's like emotionally dysregulated mm-hmm. by the time we get to school. Or she, I am. Right. Yeah. Right. She will not learn anything and it's just going to be like a horrible day for her. So, no, it's it's definitely sometimes we do have to take that time and like keeping a super clean house. Like I used to be a neat freak. I used to be a neat freak. And I mean, I definitely have had messy periods of like life. Mm-hmm. Um, even like when before we had our child, like I would, you know, we would always have like a cleanup day on Sunday. And yeah, um, but now, honestly, if we just have clean clothes in there in a pile, like that is an accomplishment. Absolutely. And, you're winning. Yeah. Though. Yeah. It, totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. So folding is next level. Right. <laughs> Well, and I I feel like, too, like when people visit, like they know that, you know, like we have a lot happening over here. So like anybody is welcome in my house anytime. But we're living here. Right, right. But we're living here and it's probably going to be a disaster every single time. And that's okay. And Mm -hmm. it's like you said, like it's it's sort of that getting over it and like becoming okay with that. I had a very hard, hard lesson in that when I was doing my student teaching, um, we were switching out mattresses for the kids. We got new mattresses. We were also packing to go away for a week. And my house showed that. Everything was everywhere. (laughs) But someone who was student teaching next to me was falling apart. Yeah. And when we left school, she was a mess. I said, just come over. And I knew what we were walking into. Utter chaos. I had her over. I'm like, okay, you're going to walk into my kitchen now brace yourself and I just I squared my shoulders and we walked in and it was beyond chaos yeah beyond something had blown up in there and it was not getting better and I just had to leave my pride at the door absolutely and make her a cup of tea and sit down and she had a lot to say about that later she said I didn't know how I was going to get through the day and the fact that you let me into your reality how it really is and you didn't try to whitewash that Right. Just let me in there and made me welcome in the middle of it yeah. was a lifesaver. Absolutely. And that that was a good thing for me to do. There's there's a book called Betsy Tacey, which we really love. And there was a mother in there. Um, the new pastor's wife had just come to knock on the door. And this mother that was in the middle of mopping her floors. She was wearing old clothes, her old apron. Everything was wet. The furniture was all moved. <laughs> she threw her apron back over her head and she took deep breaths and cried a little. And then she wiped her eyes and she switched her apron and she answered the door and just said, come in. And that example for me in just this children's book, yeah, it changed something. It let me get over myself in a lot of ways that I have to keep getting over. 
just Absolutely. come in because this is where we are and who we are. And you're either welcome or you're not. Absolutely. So if I'm going to choose welcome, it's going to be how we are right now. I mean, please give me five minute notice. But if right. You- <laughs> Right. And come to the front door. But right. but if you don't, I'm still going to let you in and it's going to be fine. Right. It, it might be my neurodivergence, but, you know, I have friends that show up very early or my mom, for example. Mm-hmm. I love you, mom. Um, <laughs> but, but she is notorious for being very early. And um, but when I have like friends show up like half an hour early or something like, I mean, again, it's the getting over it. They're seeing just part of the process, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and that's okay. And, you know. I aspire to be the friend that you don't have to scramble and clean for. Absolutely. And I think I've gotten there. My yeah. friends know that if they feel like they have to shove stuff into things before I come, yeah, we have an issue. Absolutely. And I think about, I mean, many of my friends, even just growing up, I mean, we all kind of fall into that category. Like, I'd, I'd rather have you here mm-hmm. than, you know, feel like, you have to clean for me or me there, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, And I am, I'm the same. When I when I show up in your zone, I'll have something in my hand for you and I'll probably be wearing a fake mustache, but I'm there. Right. Wearing a fake mustache. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> if any of my friends are hearing this, they will know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah. I love it happens. That. You'd asked about neurodivergence and um, how we were – how that affected us. I think yeah. that um, when my kids were interested in something, they knew that I was going to help to get them involved in it in some way. Yeah. With the outer space thing, we went to the observatory. We went to the astronomy classes and the astronomy sleepovers in the national parks and That's awesome. all of that stuff. Because if I'm modeling learning what I love, I need to help them learn how to do that too. And so we just we just dove in. Yeah. That's Whatever well, it was. Well, I think that's a good point. I think with learning, I mean, it first of all, I mean, I think kids are naturally curious, but I think I think modeling like continuing that learning and enjoying it, like that's the key, like enjoying the learning is so powerful and impactful. You know, cuz if if kids grow up knowing that learning is fun and exciting and you can go on these adventures, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to want to keep doing that. And I think that that's something that is so important, especially in our sort of like structured society, you know, that it's okay to like keep learning. You don't just learn a skill and do that for the rest of your life. And if you want to keep learning something, like it's almost like giving permission in a way. Yeah, I had uh, a couple things that really brought that home to me. One was when my middle daughter had her college orientation. They said to the parents alone after the kids were out of the room, don't worry if your child does not know what they want to do because 80% of college freshmen who have declared a major, like they know what they want to do, switch. 80%. Yep. That just took off the the pressure. And I share that with every about-to-graduate-high-school child right? I can find because they have this intense pressure on them. And yeah. the other thing was that the average adult is going to go through six career changes, not jobs, yeah, career changes in this yeah. day and age. And that, it sounds inflated to me, but when I look around me at the people I know, they're actually continuing to learn brand new things right, throughout their lifespan. And that's that just opens up huge doors into you don't have to pick the one thing. There doesn't have to be a one thing. Right. You can do what you want. Right. Yeah. Do what you want. I think, but that's such a big thing. I mean, even when I decided to leave 
you know, the public school scene, um, people were like, what? Like, what are you going to do now? You know, and yeah. um, I think having to like sort of undo that, like I'm a violinist and I'm a I'm an orchestra director and I conduct orchestras like like yeah. that part of my identity, like sort of giving myself permission to mm-hmm. like it's okay to be other things and to do other things and you know like I'm not just this one person like mm-hmm. I have all of these things that I can tap into and that's okay so speaking of you know like living a full life you recently just graduated with a master's degree right in nursing wow. some people might say that at my advanced age it's too late to start an entirely different career but I here we are so. and <laughs> I don't feel behind oddly enough even though yeah. I was going to school with people significantly younger than myself yeah because this was my plan before I kids I knew that I was supposed to be a nurse when my kids were fully cooked yeah and they're fully cooked <laughs> so <laughs> I love it <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, no, you, uh, during COVID, you were doing some of the prerequisites and getting yourself sort of like ready for that. Yes, so many prerequisites because those did not overlap very much or had been too long in the past um, for what nursing requires. No, no, your bachelor's was in music ed. That's what I thought. And then I have an EMT licensure as well. Okay, okay. But I've only volunteered with that. I haven't worked on a rig, so it's a different experience just volunteering. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's been quite the ride, and I just finished in December. And congratulations. Thank you. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah. <laughs> it was really rough. Yeah, but. yeah. No, I I mean, just the coursework alone, I, I can't even imagine. That's And that's interesting amazing. during COVID. Yeah. Interesting experience. It, it was a valuable one. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, having that... Um, just the pressure of it and going through what other health professionals were going through, even just as a student. Yeah. We were there. And now entering entering nursing um, on the other side of that to see the damage that's been done to health professionals. Absolutely. Uh, it's a unique time, a unique time to be starting this. So right. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, good for you. Gosh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And who knows, maybe in 10 years, you'll decide you want to do something else and get another degree or something. Yeah. Uh, let's not talk about that today. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not ready. Totally. Totally. <laughs> to even hear the words. But there may be a time. We'll just pause that for yeah, now. Right, How's that? Right. Okay. Absolutely. Still absolutely. catching my breath here. But yeah, it, it the whole COVID thing was... Uh, an interesting time for everyone. Yeah. But I didn't have the free time that so many people had or the boredom yeah. because I was starting my prerequisites then. Right. And right. I switched to online teaching my yeah. students and that was pretty difficult at first. Yeah. Even though they were only one at a time. I So, so much credit to teachers who just pivoted yeah. And did the yeah. thing. Oh, my stars. Whole classrooms full of kids. Right. I, I'm in awe. Like my sister did that in a day. I no clue how. Right. She's a master teacher. And I don't know how she did the thing. I know it was very hard. But even with my one-on-one students um, or two, teaching a beginner how to hold right. a cello properly when they're, you know, nine. Right. And they're not in front of you. Absolutely. Oh. I'm sorry, honey. I, I can't actually see your hand, so I can't answer that right. question. Can you move the camera? Yeah, all the time. But, <laughs> but it, we, we, we worked it out, and I still have yeah. quite a few of those students that started at that right? time, which is really fun. And my son was a senior in high school, and yeah. he missed the last of his senior year. Oh, that's hard. But yeah. 
something so lovely happened during that time. One, I got more time with him, which I'm always happy about. Absolutely. You know, he's just such a bright spot in my day, and I'm so grateful he's still at home. Yeah. Um, but we would take out the sewing machines about 11 p.m. Yeah. and start sewing masks or surgical caps or yeah. um, surgical gowns for units that didn't have enough. Yeah. And just for a couple hours every night, we would sit and sew at the kitchen table. And that's such a valuable experience right? for me just to have that time with him and not having a way to really help out the medical community besides that. I felt at least I was doing something. Like I felt this huge pull to just be where they were and helping. And my friends who had to go in, not knowing what they were bringing home, not knowing how much danger they were in. This is the one thing I had right, to help keep them safe. And my son joining me in that was just amazing. Right? So that was lovely. That is lovely. And just being able to, I mean, I know when I sew with my mom, you know, we get to like talk and hang out and it's kind of yeah. like a party in a way, you know? Yeah. And a yeah. good way to end every night. And then we just decide, okay, we've done enough and yeah. put them away and move on. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. If you could give yourself any piece of advice before you embarked on this journey with designing your life, and I know it it wasn't, not that it wasn't intentional, um, but, you know, like, what, what would you tell yourself? I mean, I, I get that it's... For myself, mm-hmm. um, maybe keep up with some of the structured activities that I really had in place on this piece of paper in front of you, right? right? I had them in there. But when we stopped homeschooling, I didn't keep up with some of those. The intentional weekly or biweekly contact with friends that if it's not on a schedule, you just don't get to. Absolutely. The mama's homeschool day. Well, I wasn't homeschooling and I didn't quite do that. Now I found new ways to do those things, but some of them were just so, so crucial and vibrant and important. Ah, uh, exercise. Oops. <laughs> uh, we're trying to add that one back in, but that's a really, really tough one. I love my couch so much. So right. it's something, yeah, thanks for asking. It's something I really need to think more about. But I think keeping up the things that were working for my kids, they were also working for me. Yeah. And I think that's going to take some revisiting. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good advice because I think about like, you know, I'm sort of at the beginning of this journey. Mm. And, you know, I I do think that there are a lot of structure things like from when I was teaching in the public schools that were working for me. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's it's good to keep up with that because I think about myself in 10 years from now, like, mm-hmm. you know, what are the things that I should be keeping and what are the things that, you know, I can... And there's that retrospective view, right? Right. And I need to do that now in a way that is about me and my family where it's at now. You know, helping take care of my granddaughter. What does that look like? What does that look like healthy for her, healthy for me, healthy for my kids? Right. Um, In a way that I'm continuing to model the things that I want to be an important part of her. How am I supporting my kids as they're raising kids? Yeah. To be able to have that margin to be healthy too. But I think that I need to get some more time with that. I I decided that now um, I'm in my 20s because my 20s was all doing this. And that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But... Now, I'm in my 20s, you see. So I went to grad school. Yeah. And now that I'm in my 20s, I'm going away for the weekend to do um, crafts with friends. I love that. Yeah. And I'm doing a little little traveling here and there. And just the stuff that I may have done otherwise. Yeah. Not that it was a sacrifice. Because I don't feel like it's that way. It just feels like now's the time. Yeah. 
And so I'm I'm being intentional about that, but I mm-hmm. do want to do a little bit more, like you're talking about. Of yeah. In 10 years, what what should this time have looked like? And how will I know that it's met the um, the things that have been asked, are being asked of me? How will I know that I'm answering that? Yeah. So I'll yeah. do more thinking. Yeah. Great. You made me think. Thanks. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? For, yeah. Educator. I can't I, always appreciate that. You can that. take the girl out yeah. of the public school, but you can't take right? the educator out of the girl. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's something that I I ask myself a lot, like looking, again, like that retrospective, mm-hmm. you know, like what will I be glad that I've done and what are the things that are missing that I should be trying to like implement into my life? And yeah. I think, you know, I think especially with structure, I think for me it's so hard because structure is both like the best and the worst thing that can yeah. happen to me. Double-edged you know? sword. It is a double-edged sword. And, you know, like some, especially with my health stuff, mm-hmm. like, you know, there are days where I, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do my schedule and I have to just listen to my body and do what is good for my body. But yeah. um, other days, there are days where, like, just mentally I have to, like, make myself do the structure. Right. And especially with, like, ADHD, like, it can be really hard mm-hmm. and just, like, a huge, you know, and even things that I enjoy like you just have to get started on this thing and once you get going you'll be fine you know oh taxes yeah taxes oh yeah have mercy (laughs) with a small business it's insanity and it tries to kill me every year and yeah yeah I will procrastinate like you wouldn't believe with that us too yeah yeah and luckily like like Scott is really like good about like okay we need to get these things together three points for you you're right (laughs) right. you want to come and do that for me right (laughs) I'm free on Thursday (laughs) well there's so many like little things I mean this is the first year too with like tie-dye where we had to like separate um like our like personal finance from our business and not that I don't have experience with that from teaching privately, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is my main source of income right now. Um, but it was definitely like, oh, okay, it's different too because like, you know, I'm providing like a an item and, you know. And you're switching from hobby to, right. to career in right. a way too. Right, but, Yeah. And paperwork-wise, mentally, the right? whole thing is a big switch. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, like with teaching violin, like I don't have, um, uh, you know how you have to like, uh, if you become like a small business, you're supposed to like register your business. Yep. Um, and it's it's not like a huge deal. It's not like, you know, I'm a corporation or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the private teaching, I've never had to do that. But with the tie-dye, I, I did have to mm. do that this past year. Mm-hmm. And that was like a whole, like I am so abstract, random. And to have to like figure out like these government websites yeah. and like, and luckily one of our neighbors, again, co-housing for the win. Nice. One of our co-housing neighbors is a lawyer and she's actually like she works with like businesses Mm -hmm. so I like I am so glad because she gave me a lot of good solid counsel on like what I needed to do and um even just understanding the like jargon that's on paperwork and stuff did I mention I'm free on Thursday right (laughs) exactly so no it's it's definitely it's yeah so it's Hmm. a learning it's it's all a learning journey and I I I do feel sometimes like in a good way, though, I feel like I'm like Frodo with like the ring, you know. You're <laughs> so. always Frodo with the ring, Marianne. Right. Oh, thank yeah. you, thank you. Except I, I don't want to have to go to Mordor. That's yeah. no. Let's vacation elsewhere. Yeah. Let's like, Hawaii sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Or or you know just even up north where it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> so well, good. Well, 
Cora, is there anything else you'd like to tell us today? I would love to give parents permission to take the time to play in front of their kids. You know, I'm not qualified to give advice to anyone, but I would give encouragement that if you don't know what you love to do, what are other people around you loving to do? Might you love that? Experiment, play, show them that it's okay to not know the things that are true about yourself yet, but let them into that process because when they get to that point, and they will, yeah. usually middle school, high school, who am I and what do I love and who, who do I translate that into as a vocation and as hobbies and as the life that I have? Um, if they see you going through that and you're open about it and invite them into that, I don't think it makes them insecure. I think it gives them them permission to go through that and know it's okay, it's normal, and you're going to get there and we're going to go with you through it because you went through it with me. And I want that for my kids. I want that for my granddaughter. I want that for my nieces and nephews. And they have to watch me to know that it's okay to not know mm-hmm. yet, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to keep working on it until we do. So... Well, I'd love that permission just to be universal. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Cora, for being a guest today. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your ideas and your process and your journey. And I I really feel like I am so inspired by you, like Aww. every day, like for real. That's so um, kind. And thank you. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like it really, really helped me start to build the life that I wanted, you know, with a little more balance. And Marian, that's huge. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And going yeah. over um, going over the life that I've had and talking to you about it, um, it's easy just to focus on the things I missed. Yeah. And the arrows di- didn't quite get their mark and the mistakes that I've made. And you made me talk about the other stuff. And that's, that's a kindness in itself. So thank Aww. you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So much gratitude for me. <laughs> Cora performs regularly with the Roseville String Ensemble and the Firefly Trio, and you can find her at www.thefireflytrio.com, as well as the trio's Facebook page, The Firefly Trio. Thanks for joining us, and as always, you can find me at madmeardie.com. Madmere will be back next week with a fresh podcast where we explore the challenges and victories to building sustainable lifestyles as independent makers small artists and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm.